0: Welcome back to Past Loves, the weekly history podcast that explores affection, infatuation, and attachment across time to bring you the lighter side of history and a touch of romance to daily life. I hope that you are doing well. Can you believe that we have already got to the last episode of season two? I mean, honestly, that just feels completely mad. And if you'd have told me back in April, when I decided that I was going to take the plunge and start this podcast, I would not have believed in the slightest that I would be here today. And so I wanted to say a big thank you, first off, for listening. Whether it may be your first time or you've been listening from the very beginning, it means the absolute world. And for the last episode of the season, we are heading to an actual fairy tale castle, Beaver Castle. So Beaver Rises like a fairy palace over the plains of the Vale of Beaver in Leicestershire. And dates back originally to 1067. I thought I'd first heard about it on Phil Spencer's Stately Homes. Which is an absolutely fantastic show. If you're in the UK, you can see all the episodes on 4 On Demand. And it is absolute heaven, a joyous little escape into the greatest stately homes in the UK. And it seemed like a revelation when I saw it on there because it is truly one of the finest Regency homes in England and a treasure trove of great paintings and furniture. But actually, you might recognise Beaver. From Netflix's The Crown, in which Beaver Castle plays a starring role as it stands in Thor Windsor Castle across all of the three seasons that there have been. And it is also in The Young Victoria. And I love The Young Victoria. I mean, my love for Emily Blunt knows no bounds. But when I first watched it as a young, young teenager, I found it so upsetting, thinking that no one would love me as much as Albert loved Victoria, that I genuinely didn't watch that film again for years. It had such a profound effect on me, because the story there is just so beautiful, and this beaver, it's stunning. (laughs) But, I mean, if you want a little more well-rounded portrayal of the love story between Victoria and Albert, then I would highly recommend my episode about their love story with Helen Rappaport. But, I mean, also The Young Victoria. It's an incredible film, and it has a beautiful backdrop. Anyway... (laughs) Beaver Castle is the home to the Duke and Duchess of Rutland and it is also the home to a great love story. Today I will be discussing the relationship between the 5th Duke and Duchess of Rutland, Elizabeth and John Henry, who really were the ultimate Regency power couple. They are also the couple behind the beaver that you see today, as four castles have stood on that same spot since 1067. Joining me to discuss their relationship is the 11th Duchess of Rutland, which is such a big honour, because her grace takes us truly into the heart of Beaver Castle welcome your grace and thank you so much for joining me today
1: it's a total pleasure and more importantly thank you so
2: much for inviting me
0: oh no i'm honored that you're taking the time to talk to me i think we should start i think we'll both quite like to start in this place by talking about elizabeth who was the fifth duchess of rutland Can you describe her as a person?
2: Well, just to
1: set the scene a little bit, so she's the fifth and I'm the 11th. Yeah. Uh, So I would imagine from everything I've learned about her, she was enormously engaging. She had that sort of magnetic personality that when she went into a room, you couldn't help but take your eyes off her. And yet... And yet, I think most probably, she was a very powerful soul Mm -hmm. wrapped up in a a neat, small, effective body. And I don't think she most probably realized it when she got married, but she had great ability that came out throughout the journey of her life in so many ways. How would I describe her? Well, she is my mentor. Mm -hmm. She is my absolute mentor. So. I have spent my entire time here at Beaver, with her always on my shoulder. And whether she's looking at me from a portrait or I just feel her presence, I feel her aura, she's with me. And for that reason, I've become a great, great fan of hers.
0: I'm not surprised. Do you have a favourite portrait of her?
1: Most probably, there's a great uh, portrait of her by Hopner that's in our ballroom, which is a wonderful picture of her at the top of the spring gardens. Mm. And why I love that picture, Holly, is because uh, it wasn't until I studied it, when I think I was doing a talk in America, that I suddenly realized that the lake below her, well, there was a lake below her and at that time the garden was very overgrown everything was kind of climbing in on one mm. and so I was so inspired by this I got the bulldozer out and went out and put the lake below so oh. yeah that's yeah and that's got a wonderful poem at the base of it
0: oh that's so lovely to recreate what she would see oh uh,
1: yeah I know and it, that's how it is every day here. Um, it is very much Elizabeth's story, and it feels very much as if I'm just completing the job, that she, her life coming to a sudden end suddenly mm. was to her close, and um, it, it sometimes feels as if she even found me to do the job. I know that's quite strange, but that's how I feel. So, yeah, it's a very, very special picture.
0: Yes, and she had quite a special childhood as well. What was her childhood like?
1: Yeah, so Elizabeth, and we've got to remember this is the the end of the 1700s, Um, she grew up at the magnificent home in Yorkshire called Castle Howard, and she was the daughter of the 5th Earl and Countess of Carlisle, and they were called Frederick and Margaret. And they completed the building of Castle Had with Frederick, actually, furnishing the home with masterpieces of art. Because he, too, had a great passion for beauty.
2: Mm. So I
1: always felt, honey, that her childhood had an enormous influence. Because when she arrived here at Viva, you've got to remember she was only 18. When she arrived, it was deeply disappointing because it was a Charles II building, it was quite squat, it didn't have great towers and parapet, and there was a lot of Elizabeth that was wanting to recreate, really, her home. Mm -hmm. But I guess how we have this wonderful beaver that we have today
0: Yes, I mean it, but she definitely had a style all of her own because it's so different from Castle Howard. But, yeah, I agree, she yeah, must it? have been influenced by that. Just seeing her father complete a building and furnish it so incredibly opulently.
2: Yeah, and I think
1: her father was an enormous influence for her. She had a great amount of respect for him. And we've got to remember that it was a different upbringing then. But, you know... There was a lot of connection between parents and children because they would have had governesses within the home. They would have been there with their families and their nannies and their parents when they were there.
2: Mm. So
1: it was a very, it was almost like being families in lockdown, (laughs) in fact. So it was very similar in many ways to how it's just been now. So, yeah, no, it was a very special time.
0: Yeah. Now, you mentioned that she was 18 when she got married. Do we know how or when she met John Henry? So, again,
1: the fascinating thing for me, uh, being a Welsh farmer's daughter, is that aristocracy was a very close-knit society. Mm. So, a a very elite, yes, but also close-knit. So, they would have come across each other. Uh, and funny enough, I think John Henry did actually visit Castle Howard. I'll get the exact date here in my mind. I think it was about 1786. No, sorry, 1796. we remember that dear old John became Duke at nine. So, You know, he'd been trailed around doing his job, learning from other stately homes, how things
2: work.
1: He visited in the summer of 1796 Castle Howard on one of his Yorkshire tours. And he may well have seen her there, but it wasn't really until our archives uncovered that they probably fell in love in London during January or February 1799. When John, he'd only just turned 21, Mm. and he was free by then, of course, to make his own mind up on relationships, because he was free of his guardians, and he left a note, uh, they say, to the Earl of Carlisle, to Elizabeth's father, in Grosvenor Place, on Sunday the 10th of February, just before Valentine's Day, asking uh, for an interview with her mother, Elizabeth's mother, unfortunately. So it goes, the story goes, Lady Carlyle had a very bad cold, or supposedly a bad cold, and so sent her husband forward, and the engagement was then mentioned, I think, and written about the following week. So it was a very deep sense of connection between them,
0: from, a, from the onset, yeah. Oh, that's absolutely lovely to to know those starts of of their relationship. Do you know much about their actual wedding day? About the wedding day,
1: I I know less, but I certainly do know about their wedding day. The rock records of the wedding day was that it was held on the twenty second of April, seventeen ninety nine. And she was just 18 at that time. Wow. Yeah, we haven't got how many were here, but I haven't perhaps dug deep enough into our archives. But that was the actual day. So they didn't leave it, leave it long. And I, I think there's probably a bit like COVID weddings also. They were far simpler weddings
2: in those days.
1: Mm. Uh, yeah, the young Duke and Duchess apparently were married in London. and. But by the July of that year, they were at Cheeverly in October and then back to Beaver at Christmas. But sadly, the Duke was away for much of the year with the militia. So the Duchess, Elizabeth, was here at
0: Viva on her own
1: the first Christmas of their married life. So,
0: oh my gosh, as a newlywed, it's not quite what you were hoping for, is it? Not, not quite.
1: They were very um, pragmatic ladies and um, certainly they never expected more than what was really on offer. And she was very lucky. She found a love match, which wasn't always the case in those
2: days, of course.
0: No. Maybe we should talk a little about John, John Henry, because he was, as you said, the fifth Duke of Rutland and he was born on the 4th of January, 1778. How would you describe John Henry?
1: I think he was a very handsome man, very debonair. He loved his hunting, his shooting. He was a countryman. We find game books in our archives where he, when he went on a day shooting with perhaps just a brother or a a, a relation or just the keeper at times, he would spend all day looking for one bird that he would have shot. So he was a very good man.
0: Do you have a favourite portrait of him?
2: Oh, well,
1: it has to be the portrait that lies right next to the one of Elizabeth in the Spring Garden. Mm. So she's in a very elegant sort of debonair outfit with stockings and Regency attire. I think it's also by Hotner, and it's in our ballroom at the castle. And yes, that for me is John at that young tender age of 21 marrying this beautiful bride. And yeah, and this love match. It was there from right at that moment at the beginning. Mm.
0: I'm quite fond of the cartoons of his twenty first birthday party as well.
1: They're, oh yes, they're, they're quite they're, fun. <laughs> they are fascinating, and they're well worth looking up if, uh, if anyone's listening. Yeah, <laughs> I think we have long lists of food, and how many people were fed, and how long it went on for, and yeah. All at a birthday party, which is extraordinary. Yeah, well, he
0: certainly knew how to throw a party, that's what it seems. Uh,
2: yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, maybe we should talk a little about what his parents were like.
1: So, of course, it was Charles, who was um, governor to Ireland, and a very, I think, most probably quite a, a troubled soul. He was the son of the first Marquis of Granby. And so lived with this great sense of failure, in a sense. Uh, But I always feel we have much to to thank Henry's father for, because he was the last great collector of art, and Mm. Joshua Joshua Reynolds collected his art, and uh, for that reason we have a set of Poussin pictures, which we have still the four left. And his mother was a Somerset, so Lady Mary Isabella, who was very glamorous. And I think the other day in the um, in the linen room, I found her wedding shoes. She was size two and a half, and <laughs> these petite little feet, which are considered to be a great beauty, and her wedding gown, which stretches for the entire length of our ballroom. So I don't think they were married there. But yes, so John Henry had had, I would imagine, a very upside down journey into life with his father being quite a serial alcoholic womanizer and not really there a lot. Mm. And then he died at nine. So he didn't really have a male figure in his life. So I guess that his education here at Beaver was key for his development.
0: Yes, what kind of education did he receive?
1: So it it, it appears that a clergyman who served as a tutor to John, it was a guy called Sparks, um, pursued uh, the Duke on many of his travels around the British Isles. Mm. And he was a big influence in John's life. He was called Bar Edward Spark, and funny enough, he also had, he was a great artist, and only the other day I found a painting that he put, He did of one of his children in a sort of back corridor at the castle. So, wow. yeah. So, I, I think most probably uh, John then pursued his um, supporting the Leicestershire militia, and also Cambridge and Scarborough, and he loved racehorses, he Mm. adored the whole pursuit of racehorses, and uh, he became also a trustee of the British Museum. So, he wasn't going to be a statesman, but he was really a countryman with uh, passions and love of beautiful things.
0: Absolutely. And when Elizabeth and John finally started early married life and they moved back to Beaver, Beaver hadn't really been lived in for the best part of twenty years, and it was around a hundred and fifty years since it had had a serious makeover. What were the Duchess's aims for the castle?
2: So there we have it.
1: Elizabeth was going to build whatever it took this fairy-tale dream of Updating this rather, you know, nonchalant sort of Charles II building. Mm. And she abandoned the capability ground plans that Henry had inherited from his father. And she chose the young architect who was remodeling Windsor Castle, the Round there called James Wyatt mm. and that began the most elaborate, exciting relationship between Wyatt and Elizabeth to design this Regency castle. I think was probably Elizabeth drew what she wanted and instructed him. She was far too inspired by architecture to just let him go off and do what he wanted. Yeah, it was
0: collaboration.
1: I'd say it was a collaboration.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, of course, after poor White died in a carriage uh, accident, then the local vicar, a guy called Reverend Sir John Thornton, he came in and Elizabeth took him on to help with the gardens and also continue with the castle after the great fire.
0: So what were her plans for the grounds for the castle as well? Because it's very important, the setting, where Beaver castles. starts. Yes,
2: yeah, well, they,
1: luckily, Brian had always intended these areas to be recreational areas yeah. for that he'd left in his plans. And that's what always was Brian's intention. And what Elizabeth then did is she started to sculpture the gardens around so Viva before the present castle was on a very very high hill. So to reduce the gradient of the hill, to reduce the drive coming up to the castle, and she started to restructure the gardens as to sort of the woodland gardens. Many times importing the right soil for, for acid type uh, plants,
2: right. which were
1: time coming in from a, from the far east. So it was far out right thinking, uh, really, for a, a, a woman of her time.
0: Absolutely. How did they finance this quite incredible vision?
2: Well, that's,
1: <laughs> that was difficult. They had to sell villages to raise something like £225,000 in the first ten years, which is about two, eight, three million now. Wow. Was, uh, yeah, it, they were a sort of power couple of their time. And I often think to myself, what what would their life have been like here? You know, how would they have entertained and so forth? But everything about this castle was to entertain with on, on the most enormous scale. The hunting oh. parties, French chef, a scene in the ballroom and what it would have been like. In a gentleman's magazine, Elizabeth, it was remembered that it was actually said, it is striking that the particulars so marked and decided for rural life. Her grace was one of the brightest authors of the English court and wherever she graced it with her presence, an object of universal admiration. Wow amazing, isn't it? I mean, she was quite a girl, a, a, real, a real superstar,
0: really She was, and they were, really, I agree that they were quite the Regency power couple, their social life must have been so so varied, so many especially with like John Henry going on loads of hunts and having hunts so with Yeah, and leaving her for months and months on her
1: own here, having another child, bearing in mind she had 11 children cool. of which seven and and so there was no such thing as epidural or pain relief so she was able to just pop the children out one after another
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sure she didn't describe it as popping it out i'm sure she yeah no, she was, was a strong get woman them. getting through all that on her own though <laughs> yeah yeah she really was and talking about their social life Can you describe the king's suites and the significance of the visit that they were created for?
1: Well, that's very interesting. So the king's suite of rooms was built as a suite, actually, as three rooms for Prince Regent and the Duke of York, his brother. They were both close friends and the royal visit did occur in the new year, actually, of 1814. Yeah, but on the 2nd of January, he arrived at Beaver. And the Duke of Rutland's tenants, of the yeomen of the country, went out four miles away from the castle to meet the prince. Wow. And formed a procession in the castle. And apparently a number of persons assembled between Denton and Beaver. And it was just immense. You can imagine the roads just being lined with people on this arrival of Prince Regent and the
0: Duke of York. It must have been so exciting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and whenever a member of the Royal Household comes to the castle, established on that day, they would be presented with a key to the tower. And that's part of our family tradition. And the key is actually
2: upstairs in the safe cabinet.
0: Oh, I mean... I think it's incredible living with so much history around you. It's so special to be able to to have those things that are so steeped in stories.
1: I know, it's extraordinary. It's taken me a long time to really... I Until you've been here a well, while, you almost have to feel the characters. Mm-hmm. It's not...
2: It,
1: it, I'm not a historian, so I certainly didn't... Um, go into it as a historian I felt my way into this building and I think that's how I've learned about Elizabeth
0: Yeah Do you think it was a marriage of equals between them?
2: Um, I think it's been suggested
1: in many letters I've read that it was a love of collaboration Yeah The Duke was a way and it fell to Elizabeth to manage and rebuild the estate. But the Duke's steward, who was the most important private secretary, I guess, wrote about her. By her good management, his estates were improved. Her Grace was a successful, practical farmer upon a large scale. So she had from everyone that surrounded them. So I think he. The duke respected her enormously and she pretty much let him get on with his life and she got on with hers. And when they met up, they met up.
0: One of the major events in their life together was on the 26th of October, 1816, when there was a major fire at the castle. What's the story here?
1: Oh, that was some night. So that fire (laughs) took out about three quarters of the building that had just been completed. So the whole northeast and northwest areas were burnt to the ground. And it seems that only by the bricking up of the Regent's Gallery door, which is top of the Regent's Gallery staircase, did they manage to stop the fire? And that was by the staff who so bravely came in. And they also, that very night, many, many fine, fine pictures were destroyed. So Van Dykes, Rembrandt, Reynolds, and it was John himself who wrote, I arrived today for a scene of ruin, desolation and horror. To say the extent of our loss is impossible. The calamity is heavy indeed. So John Thornton, who was the illegitimate son of the fourth duke, saved the five children from the duke and duchess by going through the flames and up into the tower and rescuing the children through the flames. Wow. I mean, that's unbelievable, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. So, what were the financial ramifications of this fire?
1: So, fortunately, the Duke had insured the building, however, the, not enough. Mm. So, at the time of the fire, the bank balance was only around £1,000. They couldn't rebuild what they'd just lost. So, Duke got hold of £12,000 out of the insurer's, to cover the loss of the paintings and as well as uh, building working making it a, t- a, a total of about 18000 it wasn't enough sadly though honey uh, so they had to sell some more land
0: i mean how the castle really did seem to swallow money at some points didn't it <laughs>
1: oh my goodness i mean can you imagine
0: completing
1: your new build and then all of a sudden and they believe it was started by Luddites so there was a lot of disgruntled employees at this time because there was a lot of changes with mechanisation so many people were losing their jobs and that's one of the things that they believe um, it could well have been started by Luddites.
0: Yes well that would explain it, because otherwise it's just this horrible, horrible um loss, really, for a f- freak of nature. But they had enough money now, really, to create even more dramatic rooms. Can you describe the absolute splendour
2: of the Elizabeth Saloon? Oh, so the Elizabeth Saloon, which obviously, it's changed it, its direction, because during the time that this was being created towards the end of the creation of it. It was very sadly Elizabeth you who know, lost her life. But if we go back, the Elizabeth Lute, it's Louis the Fourteenth style. It had a ceiling that was commissioned with a a myth of paintings of living
1: children with wings and children that died with wings. Um, Yes, it was created in that style after a shopping spree to Paris where the Duchess had actually a journal
2: of that trip that she privately printed. That's quite a thing for someone at that time. It is. It sounds absolutely fabulous as well at the same time. (laughs) And, of course, um, as a couple, they
1: love to collect antiques for their new home. So just like we do nowadays, they were actually molding
2: their home to give the appearance of antiquity and oldness at the time. And the Duchess planned for the room. She wanted to shield this room from her family, from her friends,
1: and unveil it for her husband's birthday in the January. But then all of a sudden, in the November the
0: 1825, she was taken from us and suddenly died. Yeah, and it was so, so sudden. How is she commemorated in the room now? But after the death,
2: the room became a sort of memorial to Elizabeth, and now it features this fabulous life-size statue by Matthew Coates-Wire of her at the entrance of the door with a
1: clear mirror behind her. So at all times, she appears to be in the room with
0: you. It's absolutely stunning. Uh, It's quite eerie, actually,
2: isn't it? (laughs) If you're there, you stand next to her, you realise
1: the presence of this lady in this castle.
0: Absolutely. And it must have been a really big change for John Henry. In the Gentleman's Magazine, they reported that the Duke never quitted the bedside till she had ceased to breathe, which I just thought was so poignant and a testament to their relationship. What was oh, John's life like after Elizabeth died? Right,
2: he was heartbroken. He never remarried. According to Ella, he wrote to the Duke's tenants, which explains his great loss. if if I can repeat to you, it says, the Duchess of Rutland has left
1: seven affectionate children to the care of a father, whose cruel fate it is to de- deplore the loss of a companion who, after more
2: than 26 years of wedded happiness and of increasing admiration on his part, has been snatched for him in this distinguished
1: lady were united the attractive softness of the most perfect grace and beauty, with a vigor of understanding,
2: a clearness of intellect, seldom equaled in either sex. A discontented family will forever deplore a unique
1: and untimely death. A wide circle of friends will
2: be deprived of its brightest ornament. And the country at large will have reason to regret the loss of that public spirit. Wow. Yeah, wow, exactly. Yeah, according to Lady
1: William's Wit, John Henry and the Duke of York were mingling their sighs, their
2: regrets over the table and with their united tears. Making a pool in the
0: very middle. I mean, all of what I've read of after she died is just, it's so clear the kind of tour de force woman she was. I couldn't
1: agree more. A funeral procession in 1825 was the, the largest event ever organised at Bottisford Church.
2: Wow. And roughly
1: the commission, the Grand Mausoleum, which now sits on the castle, the other side from the castle, and it it faces the window of Elizabeth's boudoir within the
2: castle. Mm. So she's still there. (laughs) She's there. She's everywhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How Um, else did the Duke commemorate his wife?
2: oh, Oh, this is
1: amazing. The Duchess's Garden, and it's where I told you about this painting that I just adore,
2: and mm. uh, of her.
1: But on the tablet below in the garden that she's leaning up against, Mr. Barth of with a sonnet that was written by the Duke in memory of the Duchess. Now, funny enough, I always repeat this at talks that I do, and I talk around the world about this extraordinary woman. But I'll just, if I may, share it with you today.
2: Oh, please do, because I love
1: this
0: sonnet so much. So it says, One
2: cultivated spot, behold, which spreads its flowery bosom to the
1: moontime beam. When numerous rosebuds rear their blushing heads, and poppies rich and fragrant violets teem, far from the busy world's unceasing sound. Here has Eliza, next her favourite seat, chest emblem of the scene around, pure
2: as the flower that smiles beneath her feet. Aww, oh, it's so romantic. It, I mean, it was absolutely love. It really, really was. Yeah, very special legend here.
0: And it was well, so lovely for him to finish the castle.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and he also bought an estate in the state of Derbyshire, and his idea was to create a replica of Beaver there. Oh. I, I went to it the other day, and we bought a, a, a sort of one, a lodge nearby. So we travelled over and saw exactly what it was like. And you can see the
2: signs of,
1: uh, it's called um, Longshore, and you can see signs of
2: fever within the architecture. I think it's owned by the Sheffield Council now, but that was his project to really try and get him through his grief.
0: Yeah, because it must have been such an intense loss. And he lived for quite a long time
2: after her. Yeah, many, many years.
0: And yeah,
2: without her, never another woman in his life.
0: Yeah, yeah, he didn't die until 1857, so it's quite a long time after she had died. What do you think was their legacy as a couple in the short term? Well,
2: I think they left this new home at Beaver for their children,
1: which remained practically unchanged for the next two generations,
2: but it's hardly been changed since then. Yeah. So I think it's very much a legacy of is the building that's here to this day.
0: And what is their legacy as a couple at Beaver for you today?
2: It's got to be the house. It's got to be the ground. It's got to be the passion, the decor, the attention to detail, the beauty. It's everything really that the name itself. Viva, beautiful view. I mean, whether you're looking out from it or looking into it, there's beauty. Mm, absolutely. It takes me a long journey of understanding of where I am and what I do, but all the time
1: I understand that this particular Regency castle in Britain is pretty much a one-off.
2: Absolutely. And
1: it doesn't have the
2: enormous funds through the Victorian ages to change it hugely, and so it's remained intact, so that in itself is unique and very special.
0: Yes, it's a very beautiful declaration of their love for one another. How do you think they should be remembered as a couple? Well, I think they should be remembered
1: for embracing their time and their moments. My father-in-law often complained about how much money they'd spent on this castle and what a pain it was, they'd left it behind. But I think
2: we're probably, I feel we should embrace them as they've left behind heritage for the nation to enjoy, for us as a family to look after, for generations to come. And it is a partnership with people living in heritage. But that's
0: something Elizabeth and John would be so proud of. Oh, I completely agree. I think that's a beautiful place to end. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. It was such a pleasure talking to Her Grace. Uh, I was so very excited and I think it was the perfect way to end the season with such an incredible guest and love story. I think my favourite thing that Her Grace mentioned was the sonnet written by the Duke in memory of the Duchess and that end the here has Eliza fixed her favourite seat, chaste emblem of the scene around pure as the flower that smiles beneath her feet. I think John Henry's love for Elizabeth is just so palpable in that, and, well, any man who writes a sonnet for his wife wins a place in my heart always. Of course, though, it's Elizabeth who I just fell in love with. She really is quite the remarkable woman. And it is so lovely that her vision can now be enjoyed by all of us. Because Beaver Castle is one of the country's finest Regency castles. and. It was all down to their love story at the moment the house and gardens are open but there are only a few more days left of the October opening before winter opening starts to apply in November when uh, dare I say it this early but you'll be able to get into the Christmas spirit of course for the most up-to-date information the best thing to do is check the website which i will leave a link to in the show notes regardless of what old covid might be doing as well you can also take an online tour of the castle which is narrated by her grace with the history of the castle and exclusive stories I thoroughly enjoyed it and would highly recommend checking it out. I thought it was so, so well done and it really gives you an insight into the grandeur of the castle and the beauty of the castle and the history, of course, of the castle. There is also a book co-authored by Her Grace called Beaver Castle, A Thousand Years of Family, Art and Architecture, which offers even more insight into Beaver beyond Elizabeth and John Henry the 36 generations of the family who have lived there. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe to it wherever you are listening now. This means that more fellow romantics with a love of history can find the podcast and, selfishly, it means a lot to me. Perhaps you could leave a comment with what your favourite episode has been so far, or maybe who you'd like to hear about in season three. In the meantime, you can always find me over on Instagram at Past Loves Podcast, where you will find plenty more love stories in perfect bite-sized chunks whilst the podcast is in hiatus for a while. Really. If past loves is your current love, there's no better place to be. Because that is it from me for another season. Until soon.